I think any new business that is going into a world of competitors has to do something that is different. Mm. That doesn't mean different for the sake of different, but different for the right reasons. Even if it's just being better at the same thing, that's still different. You're still better, but you can't be the same because otherwise there's no reason to exist. Hello and welcome to Trillions. I am your host, Elise Grace, and today I'm chatting with a super inspiring friend who shares a love of cars. In 2006, after 16 tries at businesses, Alborz Falar bought a $35 domain, built a website, caradvice.com.au, and years later sold it to Nine Digital for $68 million. Al Boz shares the honest ups and downs of his journey, how he narrowly avoided getting fired from his own company, what it felt like receiving millions in his bank account, and other great stories. You don't want to skip this episode. Listen up. So, Al Boz, thank you for joining me today. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me. No it's worries. a great view up here. I don't know if you're a Guys listening obviously can't see it, but it's a really nice view. It's a nice room. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I love living here. It's great to be amongst the hustle and bustle of Brisbane City. Um, so, Alborz, you've started and failed 16 businesses before your great success of car advice. Uh, tell us what you learned from your past failures. Yeah, look, I actually don't like the term failure. I think that's um, that's probably not the right word. Learnings? Yeah, I, I think uh, had I not failed, as they say, 16 times, I wouldn't have succeeded the 17th time. Then again, I mean, you could always sort of argue that the terms failure and success. But yeah, absolutely, I, um, I really, I'm a really terrible employee. Uh, Me too. Yeah, <laughs> I just I, I really don't cope with having someone, not necessarily having someone tell me what to do, but not having an input in how I do it. Um, I don't work. I don't mind working for a cause or working for a company that I believe in, but if my vision doesn't align, um, then I find it really hard to to sort of do that. So, which is why I I started running businesses from a very young age. I, I started my first one I think when I was twelve or eleven, um, all online. I made a mistake of going into a couple of retail stuff somewhere along the line um, and uh, learned a lot from that. Um, but ultimately, it took me 16 times to realize to do a business I actually love to do rather than try and do business for the sake of making money, Yeah, which is a trap that I think a lot of people fall into. They see an opportunity, they go, I can, how do I exploit that? And they, they look at it from that perspective and I guess in some ways they don't really look at a long-term picture and realize that really the only success you're going to have is if you love what you do. Yeah. By loving what you do, you tend to be quite successful at it. So what do you think of all these people who do something they don't love, but they may be high-level CEOs or founders that are kind of stuck in a business that they don't love? Oh, look, I I think high-level CEOs and founders must love what they do, otherwise they wouldn't do it. Um, I think there's an element of, if you're a CEO of a big multi-million dollar company, you have to love what you do. I think they do. They love the challenge, even if they, you know, even if it's really hard. Being hard and loving is very different things. Like mm. I, what I do is really hard, um, but but I love doing it. Now, am I allowed to swear on this? Cause I, yeah, go yeah, for okay, it. Okay, good. Because I, <laughs> I swear a lot. Um, yeah, look, I, I think it's more about the people that are sitting there doing a nine to five job that they fucking hate, and the money's good, and they go, oh, you know, I've got a mortgage, I've got kids. I get all that, man. I really do. Um, and I guess for some people maybe it's a different scenario but you couldn't fucking pay me all the money in the world to do that shit because mm. I, I, would, I would rather live in a one bedroom apartment somewhere on, on Centrelink <laughs> whilst trying to make something work yeah. than collecting a wage from some dead end job that I fucking despise going to every day. Yeah, and you've obviously changed many lives by doing what you do. You've, you've got many employees and um, you've got a family so um, if you didn't do what you've done then you wouldn't be able to help all these people. 
Yeah, I, I mean, obviously everything you do has, a, has an impact on, on everything else and it, it certainly hasn't been just me. I mean, I've, got a, I've had an amazing team behind me for a very long time that have really helped mm. me build um, not only some of the previous businesses but Car Advice and the next business that I'll be doing as well. So it's, um, it's not just me, but uh, yeah, I mean, you don't really realise when you start... When I started Car Advice, I would never have imagined it having close to 50 employees by the time I left mm. um, and generating the sort of revenue that it was generating or being anything of substance really um i guess that you could call that not having a real vision but really all i wanted to do was talk about cars and i loved doing it yeah and i thought if i could do this and make money out of it that would be great but it wasn't with some sort of amazing it was actually the only business where i didn't have a business plan um all the other 16 businesses i felt i felt like i had more of a business plan because i sat there and did the revenue and tried to work out how this would go year one and year two and really had to ramp it up and stuff car advice i was like fuck it i'm just gonna have some fun that's the only one that worked. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So what were you doing when you started? Like you, were, you said you were working. Um, what, what was that job and, and how did you know that you were at a stage where you could quit? Um, so I, my 16th business was basically an internet cafe, which right. is probably the worst idea I've ever had. It seemed like a good idea at the time. In Brisbane? In Brisbane, in St. Lucia in Brisbane. At St. Lucia Village, uh, not far from the University of Queensland, where I was studying. Um, not that I did much study, but... What were you studying? Uh, psychology and IT. Okay. So I wanted to get into AI. That was really my hope from an academic perspective. But there's no AI happening in Brisbane or Australia for that matter, I think. So I really had to move overseas for that. Um, but I sort of signed a two-year lease for this internet cafe, which is a terrible, terrible idea. Um, and finally that was coming to an end. And I was like, I'm done with this entrepreneur shit. Like I've... I was devoted the last sort of 15 years of my life doing it. At that, I felt like at that point, maybe 10 years. I was pretty young still, yeah, from 12 till 22. Yeah, it was about 10 years. I had, didn't have a real job ever. That was really my only, my only real job was working for myself. And all my friends were, you know, had like proper jobs. Uh, I put that in quotation marks if you can't see it. Um, and they were earning, you know, constant income. They were going out, they bought a new car, that sort of thing where they feel like their life's in order and I'm, you know, living hand to mouth. Um, if, if at all. I was pretty broke, actually. I didn't have any money. Um, so I decided that I might try and get a real fucking job. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I did. I got a real job at the University of Queensland uh, doing IT support. Um, they gave me this red uniform, which is the ugliest thing. Not that I'm into fashion. I mean, I'm usually wearing Crocs, but that was honestly the ugliest uniform you could possibly imagine having to put on every day. Quite demeaning. And um, I fixed keyboards and and broken mice and went to people's computers when something didn't work or the printer stopped working or I felt like I had spent so many years studying for a start but also so much experience in business and then I was dealing with the most benign and useless fucking problems that <laughs> really a 12-year-old kid could solve. Non-inspiring. Non-inspiring and mm. it was honestly quite a very depressing period of my life where I was like, yay, look at me, I'm earning good money. That's actually the most money I'd ever earned at that point because it was a real job with consistent income plus great super and all that sort of stuff. And my parents were like, yes, he got a job. You know, he's not a bum. Um, but I was like, fuck, if this is what it's supposed to be, then someone throw me off a building. Yeah. So then let's talk about some of the good stuff, some of the exciting stuff that you've done. So um, Car Advice had some pretty good success in the first 12 to 24 months. So tell us about that. How were you competing with these other massive companies like Fairfax and News Corp that had big budgets and, and how, did you, how did you make it profitable within those short couple of, the, of years? 
Um, yeah, it's a good question. I um, so I I guess I'll tell you how I started car advice. Firstly, is um, uh, I used to have a friend of mine that also worked casually at UQ. His name was Yarrow, um, and he was very much to the entrepreneur mindset. And he said to me, "So why have you given up?" I said, oh, "I just I've tried all this shit. It just doesn't work." And he said, "Well, what have you tried?" I said, "Blah blah." I said, "Well, what's your passion?" I said, "I, I don't know. I just I really like cars." I, I, I like I said it in like a stupid way. Like I, I just like cars. He goes, "Well, why don't you do something in that space?" And I was like. Well, what the fuck would I know about cars, right? Like, I, I mean, I love cars. I read everything about cars, but I'm not a mechanic. I'm not a journalist, and none of those things, right? Mm. And um, anyway, it was just an something that sort of popped into my head and sort of planted a seed, and I just started thinking about it, going, you know what? What, what wouldn't I fucking do cars? Like, you know, what 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 stops me from writing about cars that gives something, you know, that somebody else that's writes about cars has, as an example? And I watched way too much Top Gear growing up, so in some ways. You know, looking up to people like Jeremy Clarkson, I was like, that's the job I want to do. That's, yeah. That would be the most amazing thing in the world. So I was sitting in my computer one day at work, like three hours into a day when I'd done absolutely fucking nothing. No one had even noticed whether I was there or not. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to fucking do something with cars. And I started looking for domain names. And the first thing I came up with was car advice. And I thought, oh, there's no fucking... I actually, I almost didn't check it. I thought, there's no fucking way that's going to be free. Like, someone would have taken that. That's such a good domain. It was free. I just it cost me thirty five bucks. Awesome. I registered it. I had the site up and running in forty eight hours, and I started writing about cars. It was so just a WordPress install yeah. with me writing really poorly um, about cars, and the traffic just was unbelievable. Like I, I didn't I, I, see one of the businesses I ran previously was sort of internet marketing, mm. so I had a really good deep understanding of SEO and sort of I had a pretty good IT background so that was helpful back then it's pretty pretty good too yeah it was very helpful back then it was really still a buzzword SEO it wasn't well understood like it is today in some in some extent um, so yeah within the first I think two three months the traffic was gone from nothing to a couple thousand a day and then it just kept exponentially growing wow um, and then I got an email from someone that uh, said you know I found your site I'm in the car industry would love to meet I think it's got a lot of potential uh, name was Anthony Crawford, who I would now consider probably one of my best friends, and um, he came on board. And fuck, man, it was like a decade of a roller coaster ride, and uh, with a pretty good ending. Um, not a very good departure, but a pretty good ending. And uh, yeah, it's it was it was awesome. I wouldn't regret a minute of it. So, how did you know that Anthony was a, a good person to bring in, um, and how did you know how much equity to give him? Um, we have you know. we have it's a good question. We had this joke. We have this joke to this day internally because the first time we met, at the time I had this purple Ford Falcon mm. that I was so embarrassed to be seen in. I used to, whenever I used to go to the valley, I used to park it a couple of hundred meters away. I know that feeling. Yeah, <laughs> and um, make sure no one saw me get out of it because I figured it would hurt my chances of anything. Um, so I, when I was going to go meet him on the Gold Coast, so he flew up. He had an apartment on the Gold Coast from Sydney. Um, I, um, I asked my friend who had a much nicer car than me to give me a ride up so that at least first impressions I don't look like a complete fucking idiot. What was the car? It just had a black WRX, which at the time was a cool car. It was, yeah, you I know? remember. <laughs> um, now I kind of go, that would be embarrassing. Not, not really. I had a WRX after that. I still love that car. But um, So I drove up. I didn't know a thing about the guy. I didn't even Google him. He told me all the stuff he'd done. Um, I sort of just took him at face value. I just really liked him. Like uh, a very... Uh, you know, charismatic, charming character, a lot of belief. So he said to me many years later, and we still joke about it, that he'd called someone the day before and said, I'm going to go meet this guy. I want to be involved in his business. I want to go, I'm going to ask him for half equity in the business to help him build it. 
And his friend told him, oh, look, that's probably going to scare him off. So don't do that. Just ask for 25% and hopefully he'll settle on 20 or something. And he went, oh, yeah. all right, okay. So he came in the next day and we had the chat and I really liked him. And then he said, look, I really want to help you, but I want to have an equity in this business, you know. Can I get 25%? And I was like, yeah, no worries. <laughs> like, didn't even fucking have, I would have given him 50. Yeah. Like, I would have. And, and to this day, that still burns him because <laughs> that's a lot of millions of dollars that, uh, that uh, I guess would have been split slightly differently. So mm. um, from there, it was just, it was war. We, um, we went to war then. Um, we, we genuinely went to war against News Corp and Fairfax. Hmm. in many respects um it was really hard it was like people say oh you know a lot of people tell me now oh back then it was easy because the internet was a different field and blah 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 blah. man i can tell you it was not easy it was fucking hard and there were so many challenges and we came close to being bankrupt so many times hmm. um we were in trading insolvent for a little oh, man i mean we went through a gfc as we basically we launched the company in 2016 we started taking it really seriously sort of early 2017 into the GFC where car companies all were going bankrupt or pulling marketing budgets and yeah I mean we one month we would make 30 grand next month we would make four. Oh man that's and stressful. And we had employees and it was really stressful yeah it was a uh, I, I think I aged prematurely <laughs> yeah. I think you look right considering the roller coaster ride you've been on. Yeah I guess so yeah I guess so. So a lot of people would think that it's the dream, right? You started an internet business 10 years later, you, you sell out for many millions. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, what were, so the GFC was, was tough. What was another challenge that you went through that you think was a blessing in disguise, looking back? Um, I don't know about blessing in disguise, but I certainly had a lot of challenges with early investors that came on board that weren't the right people, mm-hmm. um, that really didn't help what we wanted to do and really didn't see our vision, wanted to do their own thing and sort of held us to ransom. Um, it's all well and good to own a majority of a company, which we did, but if you don't control the purse strings, it's pointless. The person who controls the purse strings is the one that actually owns the company. Hmm. So even though we had investors with significantly less shareholding, because they were the ones that were um, basically in charge of the money, they tend to dictate a bit of the... Bit of the um, vision of the company and where it was going. So that was a bit of a challenge. It took me a while to unwind that situation, a lot of politics and a lot of time wasted and getting control of the board of my own company and make a great movie, actually. Um, there is a book coming out in August, so that'll be good. Cool. Um, but how, can, how can people get their hands on the book? Well, it's actually, I, I got the first 10 chapters this morning. So Are you writing or you have a um, I'm writer? helping it. I don't, I honestly, God, I haven't, I've got a much, person who's much better at writing it than I do who's interviewing and he was interviewing us mm-hmm. and getting the book done but i'm really excited about that because i think the story is um it's 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 honestly it's you wouldn't believe it you know they always say fact is stranger than fiction it's something like that it's absolutely yeah, crazy. Wow. the amount of politics that was involved in just gaining control of your own company and the amount of times that i nearly got fired from my own company and the amount of times i had to stop anthony from getting fired from his own company and mm. like they we had a, we had a situations where we felt like we'd completely lost control of the company um, and we had to actually start strategically planning how to get it back and instead of just fucking focusing on building a great business like there were so many years there's about a three-year period where I feel like we just wasted time on politics and on getting our own shit in order and you know and, and shareholders backstabbing each other and things like that meanwhile we could have continued to build the business so 
Honestly, when I think about where the outcome of the company was in terms of a sale, I'm still fucking amazed that despite all the troubles and all the things, we still built something of such tremendous value to someone. Mm. So, um, it was fucking hard. Yeah. I, the thing that annoys me the most is when people say to me, oh, you know, the right place, right time. It's like, yeah, okay. Tell, tell that <laughs> to the first 16 businesses. Oh, you're lucky. And the last 10 fucking years of my life. But yeah. So how, how would you recommend somebody choose board members more carefully or, or be a little bit more strategic if they're naive in the early stages of business and they have a good thing going genuinely? Yeah. What would be your advice to someone? Well, I'm going through that process right at this very moment for the next business. So I can tell you um, my experience has been to bring on board members that add a very specific set of core values to the business. So there's no fucking point um, giving seats to investors for the sake of giving seats to investors because they have a shareholding. If anything, that's probably the worst thing you could do. What the investors really, look, from an investment perspective, and I've made a fair few in companies since I sold mine, I have, I have a complete hands-off approach. Like I get the reports every once in a while, I might talk to the founders, see how they're going. But I don't want to be involved. I don't want to be harassing them. I, don't, I, want them to, I just want to know that they're running the business properly. Sure. You know, and I want them to. Know, I want to know that they've got the board members that helps them run the business properly. I don't want to be on the fucking board. What am I going to add value to? Sure, I've got a lot of opinions, but and I've got a lot of advice. But they can just call me, and they do. Um, and that's sort of my approach. Like I'm only putting people on the board that help us strategically. And previously, I had people on the board that just happened to be investors, mm-hmm. which just meant the board meetings were shambles. So yeah, a lot of a lot of learnings there. But look, we did a lot of great things at Car Advice too. Yeah, we did a lot of great things at Car Advice. So yeah, I think we sort of gloss over that sometimes. I think it's important, though, for people to listen, listening to realize that these successful, these successful businesses from the outside have had so many failures within themselves on the inside. Yeah, um, I don't think people really see that because no one really ever talks about the turmoil of running a company in detail, and I think that as a result of that people start a new business and they're 12 months in and go, well, fuck, this is not going well because I've never heard anyone talk about the struggles. You know what I mean? Like I, yeah. people that haven't had the experience of failure, they get so discouraged by setbacks that they go, well, fuck it, this is not working because by this stage, blah, blah, blah company that I heard a podcast with was doing this and that and it's like, dude, it's, everyone's different. And you're All the journeys a, are different. All the journeys mm. are different. You're going to have a lot of setbacks along the way. Yeah, for sure. And entrepreneurship's not as glamorous as it looks. It is. No, it's not I think it is painted all, to be very glamorous, but it's. I don't know where that got that a, image from. Where do you think the glamour comes from? I think social media, man. Like um, people post on social media their, their highlight reel, and. Um, but what are they posting? I'm sitting at a cafe in my laptop. Well, you got lots of cool pictures of cool cars, for example, yeah, and then there's there's other people that's out there. After like, my success, of course. <laughs> but people can look at you and think that that you're still on that entrepreneurial journey and that it's easy, but they don't see the the non-highlight reel. They don't see the the struggles. Who who really wants to get on well, social media and I'll, say, I'll tell you a highlight, "Hey, I had a shit day today." <laughs> I'll tell you a highlight reel. I was up till two thirty last night working on design for the new stuff emailing people and i must have gotten up five like six a.m the day before i feel like i'm running on four hours sleep at the moment and that's post apparent success because mm. i'm starting a new business you know I, I you know people always go people always ask me this question and it's the strangest question it's like how do i be successful and i just i just find that so fucking weird it's a really fucking strange question you know, everyone wants to be successful, but I think so many people don't actually want to put in the effort. Yeah, I agree. They don't know what it takes. They, they don't realize that it's not... 
Maybe it's my fault. Maybe it's people like me that put pictures of their <laughs> fancy cars and I don't think it's your fault, man. I think I think people flying first class around the place. But fuck, man. Like in between those highlight reels is fucking emotional distress, pain, anxiety, a lot of suffering. It's it's hard work. It's really really fucking. It takes a mental and an emotional and physical toll on you. It sounds like it's in balance, though. It sounds like with all that hard work and that that stress and anxiety, the winds are incredible and it's like being on a high, right? So it sounds like it's in balance. Yeah, so look, I think perhaps like yourself, I'm extremely goal-driven. Hmm. So I like to set a goal and I like to hit it and I will do fucking whatever it takes to get there, um, you know, within reason, obviously. Um, but if, if you don't have those tangible goals... I kind of feel like you'll never really progress that far because mm. you don't know what you're fighting for. You've got to have something worth fighting for because when you get there, at least, you know, you can look yourself in the mirror and and go, you know, I did it. I did like, it. Honestly, the, that morning when I woke up and the money had gone into the bank account from the sale of the business and I had this, you know, you get, you know, when you get paid, there's a, I don't know if you've got NetBank on your phone or whatever, the app yeah. that says you've been paid this much in your bank account. Yeah. <laughs> The, the notification couldn't fit the zeros <laughs> That's and cool. um, I just kept looking at that I didn't want to I didn't want to unlock my phone because it was like the fucking weirdest thing to see a notification it was so casual yeah like just a weird it's like the coolest notification you could ever imagine <laughs> on your phone and I remember I just kept looking at it I, was, I didn't go to work till like 11 that day because I was just like just just standing in my hotel room and sitting just kept looking at my phone going fuck <laughs> um, is that real like and uh, and then I went to an ATM and I must have got like 50 printouts of the of the balance because it just went to my everyday savings that's account. really cool <laughs> do, you, do you think that the the first dollar you made on your blog or receiving that notification was better what was what oh, gave no, you definitely more joy? the notification really oh, fuck okay yeah. that was a surreal that was a that was one of those moments where you kind of go unless i had a gambling problem i can't fuck it up <laughs> you know what yeah. i mean like you i was like okay i'm okay now like i i, I can take a month off not that i ever have but there was just this, you have no idea what when you get to a point where you feel like you've got financial security mm-hmm. it completely changes your life like i'm actually working harder now than i was when i started car advice and yes there is going to be financial reward for my business going forward but now i'm doing it because i want to do it yeah and it's fucking great it's such a good feeling to to want to do it you know i'm i'm, I'm enjoying it like i'm enjoying working 10 14 hours a day to build something again one, because I want to know that I can, and two, because I really want to. Mm. That's amazing. So what, what did you do with some of that cash? Did you, did you invest some, or how did you, if you're willing to speak about, what, what do you do with that much, th- those many millions? Because you sold for, was it 35 million? That was for... Um, news, news uh, sorry, Nine Digital? Uh, we sold it to Nine Digital. The, the figure was quite a bit higher than that in the, in the final sale price. Um, I can't technically tell you. That's but, okay. Um, you can go and Google it. You'll probably find it around. Um, or you look at Nine's financials. Um, I had never invested in the cent of any of my money in anything up until that point. It was around a month prior to the election between Trump and Hillary. Um, and I was like, I'm going to fucking put it all in the stock market. <laughs> <laughs> crazy. It was crazy, but I'm, I'm kind of like that. Um, and uh, so I, the day before the election, I was obviously, as everybody thought, I was betting on Hillary to win. I, um, I went and put many, many, many millions into IT stock, into tech stock, Facebook, a few other things, um, because figured that 
you know, Hillary's going to win, that's going to be a huge benefit to the technology sector. Of course, fucking Hillary didn't fucking win some some way. Well, actually, thanks to Facebook, surprisingly, and the and you know all that hacking and all that stuff. Um, so I had like a, I think it was a fifteen percent decline in my portfolio within twenty four hours. Oh of my no! Investment. <laughs> so I'm looking at going, fuck, you know, just lost an absolute shit ton of money in one twenty four hour period, and I felt like the biggest fucking idiot. I thought, oh, great, good one. Um, I initially thought, oh, I'm just going to sell and get out and never do this again. But I thought, nah, it's just going to be fine. It's going to rebound. Like, it's stupid to, to think about this in short term. What I should have done is just wait an extra day and bought in later. But um, it fucking rebounded so hard within a month or two that by the first, I think, 12, by the end of the first 12 months, because I'd waited that long to get the benefit of capital gains tax discount, I was up 48% oh, nice. on my first investment that I had no idea what the fuck I was doing. It was just the pure, everything into tech. And um, I couldn't believe it. I made more money in that 12 months from that investment than I had made from my entire salary at Car Advice for the 12 years prior. Oh, wow. So it was, uh, and then I was like, what the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> you know? Yeah. There was an element of that. You kind of go, you know, if I can, you get, I mean, you get a bit cocky, I suppose, when you have such a great return. You kind of go, I could just do this day in day out it's so fucking easy it was gambling right it's kind of like gambling mm. gambling with some understanding of what you're gambling in but i've been very lucky um with the stock market i've done extremely well uh, i got out of that and i went in harder again into other stuff and i as of a few days ago i was about 50 percent cash in my sort of um, net worth as of yesterday, with the worst of the coronavirus, I'm down to 3% cash because I'm just buying. Mm. I'm investing heavy because I'm not seeing this as a... Well, as they a, say save cash for the crash. So if, exactly. as you see the stock's going down, it's so I'm, I'm, often a good time to buy. I'm so deep into the stock market at the moment in the coronavirus thing because I... Yeah, that's a sort of... I, I like to take risks, so that's what I do. Yeah, yeah, cool. So um, let's go back to car advice a little bit. Um, there's a really cool story you have about how you got credibility in the car industry to get dealers to give you cars. Yeah. What did you do to, to gain credibility in those really early years as a young 20s guy writing yeah. about cars? So I, I think it's um, these days it's pretty easy to get cars. The landscape has changed a lot. But back then when we first started, I couldn't even get a Kia to drive or a Hyundai to drive. Um, so it, it took a lot of effort, a lot of convincing car companies to give this 20-something-year-old kid that had really no credibility whatsoever to review cars to mm. review cars right um so anthony came up with this concept where basically fuck these guys let's go and drive the world's fastest and most expensive car as a point so that that is our that is you know we've gone to the opposite end of the spectrum we've done the absolute yeah. best you've driven them literally you couldn't drive anything that was more expensive or faster at the time which was the bugatti veyron um, and then when we come back to Australia, that will be it. Like there will be there'll be no more questions asked. And I said to Tony, I said, dude, there's no fucking way Bugatti is going to give us <laughs> the car. I mean, why the fuck would they give yeah. a bunch of Australians where the car isn't even sold? Let's you know, let's just put that in perspective. Um, a Bugatti driver goes, no nah, man, they will. Trust me, you just got to ask them. They, why wouldn't they? Like, what what have they got to lose? And I was like, oh, that's a good question, I suppose. Um, so he started that process: emails, calls calls, emails, calls, you know. The hustle. The hustle is what he's good at. Um, and then he calls me one morning and I'm, and I'm sort of sitting, I was living at my parents' house, 
sitting in my room in my parents' house, you know, working on my laptop, probably wearing my underwear. <laughs> and um, he goes, oh, man, 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 I, I got the Bugatti. And I was like, what Bugatti? What are you talking about? He goes, the Veyron, man. We got the Veyron. I was like, what do you mean you got the Veyron? He goes, dude, I've got the fucking Veyron booked in for these days. We've got to go to Europe. And I was like, dude, I'm fucking too tired for jokes this morning. He goes, I'm not <laughs> fucking joking. I've got the Bugatti for these days. We've got to go to Europe. And I was like, fucking send me the email. So he forwarded me the email from the guy at Bugatti. He's like, okay, you know, you can have the car for these three days. And I was like, holy fuck. He's actually booked the fucking Veyron for three days. And, and then we went, well, fuck this, we're going to Europe. We may as well do a bit more stuff. So then we got a couple of Lambos and an Aston Martin while nice. we were there. And we, um, we went over there with a film crew and a photographer and did the whole thing. And, man, that thing went viral on YouTube. We were the first people to be allowed to film in the Bugatti factory ever. Wow. I know. And we what showed a up, score. And we showed up with a home camera. It was on film. Yeah. That's how fucking poorly equipped we were. <laughs> and it was actually, now when I think about it, I'm actually surprised they didn't just kick us out. So I, I suspect they're expecting a film crew to show So up. the equipment doesn't matter, really. For all these cats out there now trying to start a business or start Man, a podcast, it was literally a equipment doesn't home matter. Camera. We shot the whole thing on a home camera. Well done. We were very lucky we had a very good videographer. Um, but it, the video came out amazing. It went viral on YouTube. It got onto Discovery Channel. Um, awesome. The, yeah, they bought the rights to the video and they, it's still on repeat. Every once in a while I still see it show up. Um, crazy, so many years later. But... Um, and then we came back to Oz and there was a bit of a shock in the industry about what the fuck, who are these guys and why, how do they get there and what do they do this? And, you know, like it's, um, we, had to, we had to push the envelope with all that sort of stuff. We had to do things differently. We had to, we had to challenge the status quo. Um, I think any new business that is going into a world of competitors has to do something that is different. Mm. That doesn't mean different for the sake of different, but different for the right reasons. Even if it's just being better at the same thing. That's still different. You're still better. But you can't be the same because otherwise there's no reason to exist. Yeah. And that was our point of difference. We we didn't just fucking skyrocketed from there. We just went, fuck it. We just we just got all the most of the car companies were on board. We just started reviewing cars. We just we owned the SEO space. We just dominated traffic, man. Like and we got sued along the way by every competitor for the most benign, stupid reasons. Was anybody successful or you managed to No, the, them off? it was the most ridiculous stuff. Um, I'll give you an example. We had, you know, when you know when you use Google Images as search. Mm. Um, every once in a while, when you needed to write a story about a car, where we didn't have an image of it ourselves, we would just Google Image and take a photo. And we found a photo of this like 1990s something Suzuki um, on Google Images because we're writing about a recall of that car. Like you know, the government had called a recall for some safety issue. Anyway, we wrote the story. Nothing didn't didn't think of anything of it. We got a letter from Fairfax many months later saying that was a that was an image that they had taken in 1990 something yeah wow. now, now to be fair we didn't find that image on a fairfax website we found it on some other guy's fucking website right they sent us a bill i can't remember if it was like thousands and thousands of dollars and i'm like on what fucking planet is that photo worth that much money and mm. obviously we removed the photo but they were like no no you need to pay us if you just already had this commercial gain i was like man we didn't make that much money that month from everything we wrote let alone that fucking story and i came to the realization that they were doing that just to fuck with us um, because that's what big businesses do when they see a threat to a sm- from a small competitor. Mm. No one gets their team of lawyers to go through the pain or process of doing all that stuff if it wasn't for some other benefit than recouping a, you mm. know, whatever amount of money it was. Um, we managed to settle that, uh, but we've had things from News Corp. We've had, I just, it's en- it was endless. 
I, yeah, it was endless. Litigation was endless. So in those times where you're trying, where the big dogs are trying to beat down on you, um, how do you, how do you, com- how were you competing, and how did you continue to push through? Honestly, I um, emotionally and <coughs> with your team, and I learned something from that. <clears throat> Excuse me, I learned something from that, which I um, I try really, I tried really hard to apply later when Car Advice was the big dog, and that was when you try and beat down a smaller competitor by stuff that is immoral or unethical or unreasonable all you do is give them strength because they just come back fighting 10 times high they come back with emotional energy that you cannot fucking match because when they were trying to fucking sue us when they were trying to beat us down when they were trash talking us when they were saying things to the industry that weren't true it was just riling us up man like we were we were working extra hours we were like we were gonna we were like we're gonna fuck you guys up that was the sort of mentality that I had. and So it fueled your mission. And in an absolute fucking weird twist of fate, when Nine bought us, they also merged with Drive. Sorry, they merged with Fairfax, which owned our biggest competitor called Drive. And this might sound fucking cruel, but we fight every fucking person at that company when we took control. And those were the people that were trying to sue us many fucking years earlier. And I took no pleasure in that from a human perspective, but it was a very strange process to get to where they were trying to kill us for so many fucking years and we ended up being the ones that literally killed them. Mm. Um, life has a funny way of turning those things around, but um, honestly, like, and that lesson for me, being the underdog was, when I'm not the underdog, not to do that to smaller players, because all it does is gives them air. Um, gives them motivation to beat you. And, you know, whenever we had... We had a lot of small sites that used to steal our content. Mm. I dealt with them by emailing them and say, hey, mate, just FYI, I don't think you realise, but that's our image. And they go, oh, dude, I'm really sorry. Um, I said, that's cool, just link back to us. That's it. Nice. You know what I mean? You know, and good work on your site, looks great. And they'd be like, oh, that's nice. Like, you know what I mean? Like, because they were seeing us as, a, as the enemy and I made them feel like I wasn't the enemy. And in some ways, you almost take the energy out of someone by doing that because mm. they hate you less. You know, they don't want to necessarily beat you because you're not, you're not, you know, when you've got a certain feeling towards a company or a person and you're going after them really fucking hard and they're picking on you, that even makes you want to go after them even. At least that's how, that's what motivates me. So. Did, it help, did it help you make your system stronger within your business as well, like your, your legal side? So. No, no, not at all. We never had a lawyer. We never had a legal counsel. Oh, wow. Um, it's a waste of fucking money, guys. Like, it's honestly, that sort of stuff, you deal with it as it comes and most of it is just someone... As long as you're not going out of your way to steal someone's stuff, because we never did that. There yeah. was a couple of times where it was done without realisation. Um, as long as that's not your purpose, if you're doing the right thing 99.999% of the time and occasionally by accident you make a mistake, you don't, you don't need to. You yeah. don't need that stuff. I think something I learned along the way was, was what culture means in a company. And culture for me in a company means you don't need to have those processes. If your culture is right, you don't need to have a cultural policy. How do you go about creating good culture? I, th- I think it comes. I don't think you, you can't. You can't create it. it. It just comes. Like we have, we had so much fucking fun at Car Advice. Mm. At least in the early days, we just had. I, I can't like the amount of stories, the shit we got up to. Like I, there, we, there are days where we all get back together and actually cry with laughter. Yeah. Like literally on the floor because we just can't fucking believe the shit we got up to and. It, had, it built such a strong bond amongst the people that were there, which is why most of them have come with us to start a new company. Mm. Um, because we, we love the culture. Like we, we love that feeling of, 
um, I guess it was like a brotherhood in some ways. Because um, you were all driving cars and writing about them, and, and not even and that. It was it was even the you know the marketing staff, the sales staff, and anyone that was in the back end. Because there's a lot of people in the back end operations as well. But like the I remember the Sydney office, like the parties we used to have and going out, and it was just mad, man. Like it was fucking off the charts it was they had so much fun so it's important to celebrate the wins along the way yeah it was it was important to celebrate the wins um but that culture was really strong got a bit out of hand occasionally but usually someone always pushes it over the line um but when that culture dies it's when i decided i wasn't going to be there yeah and so then how did you for for a couple of um months i think or even a year leading up to the the sale, there was talk of a, you guys listing. Yes. So why did you choose to sell instead of list? Um, that's a question that I still cannot fully answer. Uh, I have a lot of regrets around it. I think that had we wisened up our processes slightly as a business and gone down the listing path, we did go down a listing path. Let, let's not, you know, we were actually not many, not, not far away from a listing. Mm. Um, we even had our own code for the ASX, um, which we had on the side of all our company cars already, um, which was kind of cool, actually. But I think in some ways at the time, I was going to say 99.9, but realistically 100% of my net worth was in car advice. I had no money. Like I had, I had a salary, which wasn't much. It was good, but it wasn't much. And then I had all my net worth in shares in a company that was illiquid mm-hmm. and um the threat of listing it and it not working was was there the, th- the threat of listing it and not me being able to sell the shares because i'm a founder and a director was there so there was an element of if i list this thing am i ever going to see much money out of it is it going to be a five-year process for me to actually you know liquidate some mm. stocks but the upside was it would have been worth a fuck ton more had we got it right. Because car, car sales today is a $4 billion business. Wow. And we were second to car sales at that time. Um, and usually the second player is worth 10% of the first player. So we, we, I genuinely believe had we listed it and done it right, we could have got it to be a three to $400 million business. Mm. Without a doubt. Without a doubt in my mind. So then... Um, oh, you can't talk about it. That's okay. So um, after, after car advice and um and nowadays you've been talking about a new venture what's what's on the cards now i know it's 15 days until your new venture launches so yeah what can you tell um, us about it um like i said i'm not sleeping very much at the moment because i'm doing a lot of stuff um it is quite a stressful period you know we're raising money we're um we've got staff we've got all the processes and it's that early day stuff that um it's really exciting but also could be quite an anxious period um so the business the parent company is called expert media um and our first venture is car expert cool so i suppose if you do a control f advice with control r expert you might get an idea of something we're trying to do obviously it's not going to be car advice again it's very different in many ways but also similar in many ways so um basically um we took the best people out of car advice when i left um you know our best sales guy best you know tech guy seo social best journalists um you're allowed to do that i was given the opportunity to do that yes oh nice i know um i think they may regret that decision um but honestly i I think i have no ill feelings towards car advice i think 
the company is going to continue to do well and 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 go strong. It's and I hope it does because it's my legacy in there. Um, but it's doing something that I don't want to do. I want to go back to loving cars again, without a corporate environment shackles, and that's what we want to do. We want to we want to go back to what made car advice work in the first place, which was provide an environment for car enthusiasts that love cars, that help influence the people that don't love cars to buy cars. Mm-hmm. So you have to, in many ways, we always saw it as what we write, the car people read, and then those car people are people in their individual groups that other people ask about cars. So, you know, if you've got someone in your family that you know fucking loves cars, if you're going to buy a car, you're going to call them and say, hey, or call her and say, um, hey, I'm thinking about buying a Mazda 3, what do you reckon? Chances are, he or she reads Car Advice, or now Car Expert, and they're going to get their opinion based on some of the things we've said, yeah. which helps. Um, so those are people we're going after and sort of building that process again. Yeah, yeah, cool. Plus, on top of that, we have a ridiculous strategy plan for how to get us to a billion-dollar business. Wow. Yeah. Have you, have you got a timeline, or are you just, you're just aiming yes, for that? Yes, it's about a three- to four-year period. Wow, that's in, short. Sorry. That's, we're not going to be a billion dollar business in three to four That's years. That's quick. <laughs> but um, we're going to. My vision is to lead to a um, a listing, mm-hmm. which would then hopefully over the next decade or so see us get to where we want to go. And it's not just media. That's all I'll say. It's not just content. So very um, cool. Yeah, it's very exciting. I'm, the prospect of it makes me very excited. Not not the money, but the prospect of doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So we still be driving cars. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I love. I, that's what I. That's what I love. I can't. If I give that up, I don't care anymore. So I. I've been. I've been. I've got a lot of my own cars now. So it has, in some ways, fed my craving for driving fast cars. Mm. So now I get into a like I've been driving around a Nissan Patrol this week, um, which is like a big giant SUV, and yeah. I get to actually appreciate it for what it is. Um, it's nice. I, I, I just. I just love cars. I, doesn't matter what it is. I, What's your favorite of your collection at the moment? I, 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 can't, I don't. I don't. You I don't, don't have a favorite. I don't have a favorite. I, What's I, your favorite for going fast then? They all go fast. What's I, your um, favorite for going around the track? I, honestly, there's no favorites in anything. I, I just I my favorite car is my Aston. I'll, I'll put that out there. Is because um, it's the first car I ever bought that was that I was really proud of. Yeah. Um, and it was the car I had on my vision wall when I was growing up. Um, and it was the first car that I drove. I drove it. In, I still remember driving over the Story Bridge in Brisbane, and thinking I was like 23, 24, broke as fuck. I could barely afford to have dinner, and I was driving around in a in a Vantage convertible that I had for a test to write about. And it's actually quite cruel to give someone in that situation something of such enormous worth, which then people associate with because they think it's your car. And to sort of understand what that lifestyle could be, to then hand it back. <laughs> and it's part of your job, though, right? I know, but it's quite possibly one of the most depressing feelings um, when you don't get to experience that very often. Because it's like, you know, that old saying of "this is how the other half live." You get to experience that for a couple of days. You know, you go places or you park somewhere, and you get there's an attention, there's all that sort of stuff to it. Um, but I remember when I drove that over the Story Bridge, and just the sensation. I was like, "Fuck it, fuck! I never afford this." And then I went, no, no, when I can fucking afford this, this is the first thing I'm going to buy. And it was. Um, and I bought it when I couldn't afford it, to be honest. Um, I shouldn't have bought it when I bought it. but With your salary or with... No, we, um, somewhere along the line, we sold 5% of our company to Macquarie Bank. Um, 
and I think a 25 mil EV, which was definitely undervalued at the time, but I was so broke that I had to sell some of my own shares just to have a couple of hundred grand cash injection. Mm-hmm. And instead of, you know, paying off a mortgage or doing anything like that, I bought an Aston. <laughs> um, Why not? Yeah. And you're a car lover. I am a car lover. Through and through and, by the sounds. And um, honestly, if I hadn't bought it, I wouldn't have done half the shit I've done since then because I met so many people through that purchase that helped me through life, mm-hmm. people that have been significantly more successful than me who I met through that car community because, you know, I think we were having this chat prior to the podcast. When you see a guy driving a half a million dollar car or an $800,000 car, unless he's inherited all the money, which is pretty fucking rare these days, um, he's worked, he's done something of value to society or other people mm. that has allowed him to accumulate that amount of money to not only buy the car, but to pay the horrendous amount of tax to buy the car. First on his income, yeah. then on the luxury car tax, the GST, the import duty, the stamp duty. It's, I worked it out roughly, it's about 70% tax That's insane. of every dollar. So you really, for every dollar you make, you're only paying 30% of it to buy a high-end supercar. So if someone's driving around in a million-dollar rentador, they've almost paid for a fucking school for a while. Like, it's insane. And yeah. I love to meet those people. I, I, it's great to meet those people because, one, you have to really fucking love cars to pay that much tax to own one. Um, and two, they must have a fucking great story. Yeah. And I've never met anyone with a cool car that hasn't got a fucking great story. And by having a cool car, I met so many other people with cool cars that had great stories that I learned so much that really helped me with my business and my life and my financial decisions. Yeah. So that's how I justify the purchase anyway. Yeah, well, that's, that's, <laughs> a, that's a great way to justify it. Worked. I think too, um, yeah, like you're saying, business people contribute a lot more than just, um, you know, if they have bought the car, then they've had to work really hard for it. It's not just something that they've been able to buy easily with, with cash. Sometimes they can, but they've made a big contribution to society. And well, that cash has got to come from somewhere, right? Yeah, 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 and often a business is more than just one person, so they're they're paying wages and they're paying to put plates of food it's on the tables what, of families. And that's, that's the thing. I, I you know when I was growing up, I was a I was very left left wing. I was even member of the Socialist Alliance. I I used to have a shirt that said "Know Your Marx," which had a picture of Karl Marx on it. <laughs> awesome, um, I remember them. Yeah, I was very very left leaning. I guess that came from my parents to an extent. Um, and I didn't really understand the concept of capitalism. I'm not saying capitalism is great. It's got plenty of warts on it and has led to a lot of dreadful things. Um, but we live in a country, in Australia at least here, where we're talking, that has a very solid foundation in terms of society where people are generally okay. You know what I mean? Like Definitely. Even we, people on welfare are getting well that, paid more than the average wage from well that's what third I mean. world countries. I, I, I don't know about... Yeah, well, definitely compared to that. I'm not saying that it's nice to be poor in Australia at all. It's not. But you have the opportunity not to be poor. Mm-hmm. And that opportunity is real. I can tell you, I, I came from a war-torn country into Australia with my parents when we had exactly zero dollars in the bank. Where were, we, where were you from? From Iran. And how old were you? When I came here, I was nine. Okay. So... You know, when I came here, I had, we had nothing. There was no money. We had fucking nothing. We lived in a, a really crappy place. Um, my parents were studying at, at UQ. Um, they had no money. We had no money. My mum worked. She moved to Gladstone to work away from me as a, when I was a kid, really. 
because it was the only job she could get as a substitute teacher. Now we're talking about someone who's got a fucking PhD in child psychology. Wow. But, and she had to remove that from her resume to get a job because she was overqualified, but she couldn't find anything else. Yeah. And, you know, like, I know what it's like to be poor. Um, I remember so many instances where I, I know things didn't happen for me because my parents didn't have the money to make it happen. And I was never resentful or anything like that. But it gave me an unbelievable amount of determination not to be poor. Mm. I didn't want to be poor. It was a fear. I didn't, I didn't, wanna, I didn't ever want to feel like I was living in a situation where I didn't know if I could afford to live the following month. Um, and that's why when I said to you when that notification came on my phone, it was like a relief. You know, I think I'm pretty sure I actually cried for a long time. <laughs> um, it still makes me want to cry now when I talk about it, but it's, um, it's a surreal feeling. It's a surreal feeling to go, okay, I did that. It was like, a, it's like one of those life goals where you, you can tick it off and go, I'm okay. Like financially, I'll be okay. Mm. Um, unless I put it all on black or something, but I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a gambler in a, in a traditional sense. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Amazing story, Alborz. I'm, I'm very motivated by you and your accomplishments. And Thank I really you. hope the audience can, can uh, list, take some advice from you and, um, and really be inspired by your grit and hard work and changing lives, not only in your own company, but I'm sure you've helped some people make great decisions with the cars that they've bought. So, yeah, thank you for no, no problems at all. making the time to come Absolutely. here today and share your story. I really appreciate it. No, thank you. Thanks for having me. And uh, I look forward to listening to the other podcasts because uh, I think people, people probably don't even realise, but I listen to these podcasts myself a lot. <laughs> like I love listening to other successful people talk about, and most of these people are significantly more successful than me. It's just really amazing to hear their stories because they've all got something to teach you. Yeah. Every single one, every single person, whether they're successful or not, I've got something to teach you. So I'm always open to listening. Fantastic. What, what's your legacy too? What, what's the legacy you want to leave not only in car advice but um, beyond your years? What's the legacy? Um, it's a good question. I hadn't really, I haven't really necessarily thought about it. Obviously, the, the book means a lot to me because I feel like it's something tangible that my grandkids could still at some point in the future read. The story of something 10 years of my life really um, and beyond and prior um, I really want to I really want to speak to more people about I guess entrepreneurship and starting their own business which is something I do through UQ and a few other events here and there I, I you know I, I feel like if I had met myself 15 years ago it would have had a really big impact because I was so Every time I failed, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm a fucking loser. Like, I'm, I'm just not made out to do this. And nowhere, no one ever told me, no, you're not a loser. It's okay to fail. Um, because no one fucking celebrates failure. No one, no one talks about, you know, failure. I read something that the guy from Airbnb wrote recently about how they were laughed out the room by every investor at the beginning mm. about how stupid their idea was and, you know, what it was like to go through that process. And actually, they actually almost gave up before they actually got someone to support their idea and look at where it is now. It's a you know, yeah. multi-billion dollar company. But legacy-wise, man, I just, I don't know, I just hope my kids are proud of me. Um, and I hope that they, you know, I, I, it's not about money. I just, I just hope to have a happy life and experience things. That's really all I care about. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, nice. All right, thanks again, our boys, Thank for you. coming on. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in with me as your host, Elise Grace. Do me a favor and drop me a review on iTunes or if you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe. Would love to know what you guys think of the podcast. It helps me keep creating killer content just like this. If you want to stay up to date with all my movements, please check me out on social media at Elise Grace.